Father, we turn to you and pray for your guidance, your direction, the filling of your spirit, the understanding which only you possess and you can give to whomever you wish. We pray for these things for ourselves, that we might be edified in the body of Christ, but edified to the point of giving the information to others because we are so blessed. We ask, Lord, that you would just help us to maintain the words of wisdom that you give us and help us to look at the world the way that you do. And we can only do this by going through your word. We understand that. So please accomplish this according to our prayers and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Wesley, in 1742, he wrote a hymn. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity, suffer me to come to thee. Lamb of God, I look to thee, thou shalt my example be. Thou art gentle, meek, and mild. Thou wast once a little child. Fain I would be as thou art. Give me thine obedient heart. Thou art pitiful and kind. Let me have thy loving mind. Loving Jesus, gentle lamb, in thy gracious hands I am. Make me Savior, what thou art. Live thyself within my heart. And when you read that or you've heard it sung, maybe you're familiar with that. You get this picture of Jesus, that he is this lamb, that he is gentle, that he is meek, and that he is mild. And he is, in fact, all of those things. But that is only half the depiction of who Jesus is. Now, can you imagine a lamb full of wool, raging, and butting everybody around them, and snorting, and just being vengeful. Could you imagine a lamb like that? Well, when it comes to verse 7, that's exactly who we see. Do you know Scripture talks about the wrath of the lamb? And you don't think of a lamb being wrathful, you think of maybe a full bull being wrathful, right? I remember going to the uh, rodeo over here. It was one April, and there was a, a guy up in the stands, and he was wearing this bright red shirt. He was in like the second or the first row is before you start stepping down. And there was this bull. He came out, and he was just fit to be tied. He was swinging around his rear side, and he was looking at everybody, and he was seeing who he could take down, and he saw that guy in the red shirt. He jumped up into the stands, and he went after that guy. And you should have seen the people scatter like ants. They were jumping over everybody, grabbing kids and just moving everywhere. Then he jumped back over. Then he jumped the gate. Then he got on 67, and he ran up 67 by Circle K. And they had to put him down. He was just raging. He was full of rage. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to be full of wrath. And he's going to be full of rage. And it's all justified. None of it is unjust. It is all going to be just. Revelation chapter 6 verse 15 says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. 
for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So this is Jesus when he comes back in the second coming. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, I just want to read these two verses to you here to get the context. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and this is referring to John the Baptist, coming to where he was baptizing, he said of them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? And then verse 8 says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we have a comparison and a contrast. We have this idea that there's wrath to come, there's consequences with that, and there's an exhortation to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And those are the two things I'm going to talk about here. I may only get through one, but we're going to talk about this fear of wrath, which is coming. Now, normally, if you've been here any length of time, I normally don't preach or teach a hellfire and brimstone message. And today, I'm not going to do that either. I I am simply going to give you what God has given to us, and he wants us to know that this is going to take place. The people who fall into that kind of condemnation from a hellfire and brimstone message, if it needs to land on that person, let it land. And Lord willing, their heart will change. Humility will be there. A broken and contrite heart will be existing in their being. And they'll be able to turn to God and ask for his forgiveness. For the person who is in Christ, it is a time to step back and be in awe. Because of what he is going to do. And there's reasons for this. Now when it comes to wrath, and this is the only time the word wrath is mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. If you were to do a little bit of research on where it's mentioned and how it's mentioned. In the book of Revelation, the word wrath is mentioned 10 times. And in the book of Romans, it's mentioned nine times that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven because of all the ungodliness which is out there. And then the book of Psalms, you know, it's this book of music and singing in your heart to the Lord. 24 times the word wrath is used. And God wants us to know about his wrath. And this is what is the bad news. Remember, we are purveyors. We are those who carry the good news. Why is it good news? Because it takes care of the bad news. But oftentimes in churches and around the country, we don't want to talk about the bad news. We want to talk about the good news. But God is a just God, and he always must judge sin. And because of that, there is condemnation and there is judgment that are coming to those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So there are some who are out there, just like it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, there is those who exist to suppress the truth. Have you noticed in the media lately there's been this move to suppress truth? Have you noticed that? Well, when it comes to spiritual truth, there is this move to suppress the spiritual truth. We all want to be loving and happy and good and nice and everything's wonderful and everything's coming up roses and daisies and there's no bad things that happen you just have to think that which is good don't think bad thoughts because they may come into fruition and we just want to make sure we're thinking good thoughts all the time whenever we get up or we lay down or we talk to people 
And that's wonderful. You know, you want to think good thoughts? Great. But be balanced in your view, what Scripture has to say. And make sure that none of us at any time pull back from declaring what God's will is concerning humanity. All of humanity is under a curse. Every man, woman, and child. Not only is humanity under a curse, but this earth is under a curse and all the animals which are here. And not only this earth, but our solar system, our galaxy, and the entire universe is under a curse. Everything is going from order to disorder or what they would term nowadays as randomness. Everything will eventually burn out as far as the suns are concerned. The planets will slow down. Everything will come to a standstill given enough time. We won't be here to see it. It's not going to happen that way because God told us how the universe is going to end. He's going to destroy it, and we'll get to that verse later. But it's this idea of wrath. So what, what about God's wrath? When was the last time you heard a message about God's wrath? Have you turned on Joel Osteen and he talks about God's wrath? Repent, therefore, for the... I've never heard that guy talk about God's wrath. Why am I naming him? Because he tends to be a heretic. You know, I don't want to mince words on some of the individuals who are out there. They would lead you astray. And, you know, if you're someone who's just giving a wonderful, loving message all the time, you are doing a disservice to Jesus Christ himself and the gospel that goes out. And so we want to be fully aware what the wrath of God is. Now, I I wrote down several questions. If you do inductive Bible study... You're supposed to read the text. You're supposed to observe what's there. You're supposed to interpret what's there. And then you're supposed to apply what's there. And so when you read this, as you're reading it in inductive Bible study, and you do those three things, you're also supposed to ask questions of the text. You ask questions, then you find the answers throughout Scripture. That's why it's important to know your Bible. Now, I sat down and I asked some questions. I asked six questions about this wrath. What is this coming wrath? Why is this wrath coming? Is there anything I can do to stop it? Is there any way to escape it? To whom is this wrath coming or who is it directed to? And what is the nature of this wrath? You know, have you ever seen um, a child exercising their wrath? Not very impressive, kind of funny, you know, and it's not going to do much damage. What about a full-blown adult? Have you seen a full-blown adult ever exercising their wrath? Have you ever seen them put their fist through a wall, break things, take a sledgehammer? Remember in high school they'd put a car out there and they'd tell all the guys, okay, guys, here's a sledgehammer. And these guys would go after the car and just bang it. And they give it to women too. And all the guys would go, ho, 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 watch her swing that thing. And don't want to be married to her, I don't think. You know, and so you would, you would do that. You would just carry out your wrath and you would do it with your full force. If you're watching the Super Bowl today, as it pans across the people, if there are seats that are empty, you don't have to look at those. I'm sure there will be. But if, there, if you look at the other seats, there's going to be people with war paint on and you know they're gonna be yelling and they're gonna have the two cans of beer up here and the straws going down and 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 some people they're gonna get upset and they're gonna want to exercise some wrath is what they're going to want to do but god is all powerful there is nothing beyond the purview of power which he does not possess 
And so when it comes to this wrath, and we're asking these questions, and we see that the world suppresses this truth of the wrath of God, and some in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it says, they refuse to retain the knowledge of God. In other words, when some people grow up inside the church, and they hear this idea about the wrath of God, they just completely reject it. Say, I'm, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to believe it. And they make up excuses, and they say the Bible is an antiquated document. It's from centuries old. It's written by several different men over a period of time, and changes have been made which none of it is true, but that's what they use as an excuse not to have to listen about the wrath of God. They love the love of God, but they don't like the wrath of God, which I don't know anybody who really does, but it is a righteous act that is going to take place. And it's not just a singular act. So this idea of looking at wrath and looking at bad news versus good news, Scripture tells us in Titus chapter 2, verse 6, to be in the King James, sober-minded. In the NIV, it says to be self-controlled. And I think that's a tragedy that they translated it self-control because this idea of having a sober mind is to have someone who is serious and sensible. It has nothing to do with self-control. And it's a person who is studious and logical. That was the original intent of Titus chapter 2, verse 6. So when we look at the idea of God's wrath and the bad news, we want to be logical, we want to be sensible, we want to be serious and studious. Now the NIV, I, I told you that uh, the number of times that it's listed in there, the King James is a little bit different. It has a few more in some of the books, a few less in some of the books where the word wrath is used. But we want to have a healthy respect for this. Now when it comes to the wrath of God, if God comes and carries out his wrath, there should be a healthy fear associated with that. The Jews in the Old Testament, they were constantly being disciplined by God and constantly judged and constantly coming under his wrath. And they just could never seem to get it right. One generation would repent, get it right, and the next generation they'd fall. God would come in and judge them, and then they would repent, and then God would set them back up and make it right. And it was just this cycle. It's like, you're ever going to get off this hamster wheel? You know, ever going to do what you're supposed to do? And God made promises if they would just follow what he said. And so they carried this healthy fear of God. And fear is good. You know, some people like to say, well, fear just means respect. No, it means fear. It means we fear when God's going to come, fear to the point of maybe trembling. But even though we have that fear, we also love him and we are submitted to him and we are humble before him because he is gracious to those who are, who act that way towards Christ. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 10 verse 27 also says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. In Proverbs 14 27, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. So if we fear God, we can be in the right place if we have a good, healthy fear of Him and His coming wrath. So the wrath of God is a result of extreme displeasure, and righteous anger over sin. I'm going to say that again. The wrath of God is the result of extreme displeasure and righteous anger over sin. It results in vengeance, punishment, judgment, and death. And we are all under 
this wrath with one exception. And we'll get to that exception. God's wrath is not a knee-jerk, impulsive act of judgment. God doesn't act capriciously or randomly, but specifically, and it's always just. When I say capriciously, it's not like God's walking along in the garden in the cool of the night, and he takes out somebody. He doesn't do that. Or you, you've seen where uh, these cartoons where the hand of God comes down through the cloud, and he makes this little snapping finger thing, and he puts it next to somebody's head. Like he's just going to take somebody out randomly. God doesn't act like that. God is specific. He is just. He is righteous. And he never acts in a way that is unrighteous or foolish or capriciously or randomly. He has a specific design when it comes to this type of discipline and judgment. So the time of wrath or the types of wrath that there are, there is this everlasting wrath that comes that will be on individuals forever. It never ends. Now, I don't know the last time you heard a not so exciting message in a church. Maybe you're hearing one today. And, and you put your face in your hands. There was a young guy, uh, probably about 15. He was at the uh, uh, men's retreat and he was sitting next to me. And, you know, for about the first five minutes, he had his phone out and I could see he's reading the scriptures. And then he slowly just went like this and put his head down. He stayed like that the whole time. He's like, is this ever going to end? I, I could tell that's where he was. I remember being at that point. And I'm just enthralled. I'm going, oh, this is so good. And he's just not getting it. You know, and I, I get it. He's 15 years old. He has other things on his mind. But have you ever been in a place where you feel like it's purgatory? Well, I'm going to be here for 10 uh, traffic. You know, tra- am I ever going to get out of this traffic? Well, that's a lo- it's a long time, but it's not forever. And you're going to get out of it. But God's wrath rests on people and the fallen angels and Satan and the false prophet forever. And that's a hard concept for us. I've even watched people on the television talk about God is not going to carry out his wrath forever. A loving God would never do such a thing. But what about a just God? Would a just God do such a thing? Yes, he would. And that's the just side of God, not just the loving side of God. And so we want to have a rounded view of who he is. So there's this everlasting type of wrath. And this is spoken about in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And it says that this: some people will be raised to life everlasting, and some people will be raised to, and the word is used, punishment everlasting. They'll be punished forever. Then there's this eschatological type of wrath. This is going to take place during the tribulation period. This is where God is going to pour out his wrath and a couple of meteors are going to hit the earth and it's going to destroy one-third of the air, one-third of the grassland, one-third of the sea. There's going to be demons that are released from the earth and they're going to give power to sting men. That means men and women. And these people who get tormented by these demons, they won't be able to die and some people will seek death, but death will elude them. The, people, the earthquakes are going to be so bad that islands are going to disappear and the mountains are going to be laid low. How big of an earthquake is that? That's like an earthquake on the Richter scale of 50, and it only goes up to 10. You know, it, It's going to be huge, and God is pouring out his wrath on the earth as a result of righteous anger and indignation towards sin, unrepentant sin. That's why his wrath is coming, because he must judge sin 
And because people won't repent. So there's the everlasting type of wrath. There's the eschatological type of wrath. Then there's the inevitable type of wrath. And that, that would include things like uh, catastrophic destruction, consequential uh, mishaps that come uh, like a reaping and sowing. And then there's the abandonment type of wrath that God has. Some of these examples, like for instance, I'm going to read to you out of the book of Ezekiel. Chapter 5, verse 8, this is one of the times that Jerusalem was just, they were just messing up. And they had been told, don't mess up. And they did, they fell into sin. So this is what God says to them. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself am against you, Jerusalem, and I will inflict punishment on you in the sight of the nations. Because of all your detestable idols, I will do to you what I have never done before and will never do again. Therefore, in your midst, fathers will eat their children, and children will eat their fathers. I will inflict punishment on you, and will scatter you, or scatter all your survivors to the winds. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord, because you have defiled my sanctuary with your vile images and detestable practices, I myself will withdraw my favor. In other words, you're out there all alone and God is not going to help you at all. You're left to the devices of the enemy, specifically Satan, because they were the chosen people of God. And Satan would just look for a chance to persecute them. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. A third of your people will die of the plague or perish by famine inside you. A third will fall by the sword outside your walls. And a third I will scatter to the winds and pursue with drawn sword. So this is God's wrath coming on the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, as I quoted earlier, Romans chapter 1 verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So God's wrath is being revealed from heaven. How's it being revealed from heaven? Well, we have a message comes down, given to us by angels, like specifically Daniel. He wrote about the uh, prophetic times of the end. He wrote that in chapter 9 through the end of the, the book of Daniel. He talks about how the wrath of God is going to come. It has been revealed to us, and it came directly from heaven, and it has been delivered to us not only by Daniel, but by the other prophets as well, and the word of God just in general. Now, why is the wrath of God coming? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, specifically in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Well, what things? Back in verse 3 it says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, which is cussing, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Coarse joking is dirty jokes, is what that is. Which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then he goes on, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, 
or greedy person such as an idolater has any inheritance inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's why God's wrath is coming. Now, our country, you look at the people in our country. If you go back a few decades, would you say that as a whole, the country was more moral? I would say definitely. I mean, you you did not use foul language in the presence of a woman, right? And you stood when older men and women came into a room. You did that. And you, you would greet them just be, out of respect. You would do that. And if you got out of line, usually there was the rod of correction delivered to the seat of understanding. You know, the, the parents would discipline the child. And uh, today, you know, you go to a school and they just want to make sure that you don't, you don't hit anybody because that's not nice. Well, they started it. That doesn't make any difference. You don't want to retaliate. You know, we were just talking about this. My grandson, five years old, he was sent to the principal's office. Because, as my son said, some little kindergartner was in his grill. And so my grandson just slapped him. You know, he just turned around and slapped him. And, and I get it, you know, you don't want your kids to fight. But I grew up, there's a bully. You do all you can to take care of that bully. You know, you just don't stand there and take it. You stand up to that bully. And you know what, you might get hurt. Oh, well, that's, that's the way it goes. That's why my father gave us boxing gloves. Get out there and fight. All right, fight. You know, he'd put them on us. Go ahead, fight. It's going to hurt. Oh, you sissy. You know, and we'd, we'd get out there. We'd start. Oh, it was just incredible the way that we grew up. They, you know, do, do you buy boxing gloves for your kids today or your grandkids? I hope you do. And that's just the girls. You know, I <laughs> You know, I, I want young men and women to be able to defend themselves and stand up for what's right and wrong and not go off on some tangent and just let their wrath go because of the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so there's a time and place for everything. But you don't sit there and tell people that they can't be angry in a righteous fashion over something. You know, so the, this idea that God's wrath is coming, it's coming because of the sin that's out there. The morality was much more prevalent before, and you go today, and the morality is just out the window. Anything goes, and we must accept everything. And if we don't accept everything, then those who have a system of morality that has been delivered to us by God, the Judeo-Christian ethic which is out there, you are persecuted and you are told you must not do that. That's a pejorative stance to take and you must not say anything about your morality. But our morality can stand. And so there is this conflict that's going on in the world. And we see it that is out there and you get frustrated like, hey, will nobody stand up and say something? Will no one stand up and fight? Fight for what's right. And I don't mean in a literal sense. You take up swords and start stabbing people. I'm not talking about that. The war is won in the arena of ideas. And if we remain silent, it is just going to get worse. And if you don't remain silent or if you do become vocal, guess what's going to happen to you? That bully's going to come to you and stand up and try to make you stop. And if he wants to make you stop, and I'm talking about the war of words. If he wants to make you stop, don't back down. Stand your ground. 
know what right and wrong is and be able to articulate that to a world that is lost and dying. So this is why the wrath of God is coming. It is coming because of the sin which is unrepentant in the world. In the United States, we're still pretty good. I mean, compared to the rest of the world. The violence which is out there, remember, that's why the Lord destroyed the entire earth by flood because there is violence throughout all the land. And that same thing is coming to us today. So there is this idea of the wrath of God, but there is also this reward side. I don't want to be too off balance. God's coming with his wrath to judge the sin, but those who repent of their sin and they make an attempt to turn, and no one's going to be perfect in this, but those who make an attempt to turn and live the way Christ would have us live, he has a reward for us for doing that. So you either get the wrath or you get the reward. And everybody gets to choose. And if somebody comes up and says, I don't like the choices. Too bad. We didn't make up the rules, you know. And I don't want to be sarcastic about that. That's just the way things are. But people, they put their fingers in their ear and they say, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear that. I'm just going to exist in my own world. Well, you will for a little while. And then you're going to have, you know, the Amco transmission. You can either pay me now or you can pay me later. And that was back in the 70s, right? That Amco transmission thing that they had out there. And so God's going to bring a reward. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. He will reward us. And I am running out of time. I got so much more on this. But anyhow, I'm going to continue. So is there any way or anything that I or you can do to stop the wrath of God from coming? Well, let's see. The whole world is under sin according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, but the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. We also know that according to the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sin, well, that's the judgment of God that is coming because everybody is under sin. So far, not so good. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it talks about wrath and judgment is coming on the entire world, since you have kept my commands to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Remember, this is the type of contingent wrath combined with the internal wrath. These, these are all the perspectives of wrath that God is going to deliver. So God says, this is coming. And he wanted to let us know it's on its way. How far in the future? Well, it's at least seven years out and then another thousand years. So at least 1,007 years, and that's if we get raptured today. Okay, so it's, it's at least that far out. We know that, but the, the tribulation, how far is that away? Well, it could start tomorrow. There's nothing left to be filled, fulfilled prophetically for the seven-year tribulation to come in and the Antichrist to come. We are, we are all set for that to take place. So this idea of reward and then there's going to be this sin and judgment comes because of this sin. We have to keep this in perspective. Then the earth and the heavens will be completely destroyed. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it laid bare. So he's going to destroy everything because everything is subject to sin as a result of the fall. That's why God gives us new bodies. We don't get to inherit heaven with the body that we maintain right now. And we don't get to go into the kingdom age with this earth or this universe. And we will all be judged by God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. So each one of us, Romans fourteen twelve, will give an account of himself to God. So when we get to heaven, those of us who are in here who are saved, we're going to be standing there. I'm sure we'll be standing. And you'll see probably in some fashion God's going to go, Bill Bodker, come here. <laughs> Yikes! You know, I, I, I'm not going to fear what's going on, but yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm fearful of him. He is righteous and he is good, but he's not tame. He is a righteous God that exercises wrath and discipline and reward and blessing. And he'll call me forward and he'll say, okay, so speak for yourself. What have you done? And I'm, I'm just giving you an idea kind of what it's going to be like. And we're all going to have to do that. And so when I pull back, and he, and he hopefully, he turns to me and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we're all going to go, woohoo! And then he's going to go, Eric Bryant. <laughs> and then Eric Bryant will have to come forward. And how long will this take? I don't know how long it's going to take. And he's going to, Lord willing, he's going to say to Eric, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And hopefully he says that to all of us who are in here. And why will he say that to us? Well done, because we believed in Jesus that he would save us. He's not going to say, oh, I have to reward you for everything that you did. No, it's because we believe in Christ. And we get the reward as a side venue to that belief in Christ. And he will give us a crown of glory when we appear before him. So this is what not only us that believe in Jesus Christ, we who believe in, in Jesus, but the world will also have to give an account to Jesus himself. And they'll come forward and Jesus will say, give an account. And they'll have to speak for themselves. And they'll be on trial. And those who haven't accepted Christ are going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is Gehenna. Let me go on here. So, can we stop the judgment and wrath of God from coming? The answer is no. We can't stop it. God has already placed it in his word. The world is under sin and judgment and death. And it will take place. It will come to fruition. And that judgment that takes place, the people are going to be cast into Gehenna, into the lake of fire. And there's a few things that I'll get to on that later. But the Lord wanted to let us know that we who have accepted Jesus Christ are no longer under this wrath. We have traveled the route of mercy from death to life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, but Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us, from the coming wrath. 
Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And so when it's talking about the wrath of God, those who have accepted the salvation that Jesus has for us, we ask him for it. We say, Jesus, will you save me from my sins? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he becomes our Lord and Savior, and he places his Holy Spirit in us. That entitles us to go to heaven and escape the wrath. If we don't do that, we get the wrath. The wrath still remains on us. So we can escape this final wrath and judgment by our confession of faith. John 5.24 says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He, have, he has crossed over from death to life. This is the whole reason the gospel is given. This is the whole reason Jesus came was to make that thoroughfare, that door, that pathway to have fellowship with God. Because we were sold to sin because of the result of the fall with Adam and Eve. And of course, you know the scriptures that I've repeated so many times. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That is, quote unquote, the ticket to heaven. It is Jesus. He is the only way. He is the truth. And he is the life. So, so far... What is the coming wrath? I explained what that was. Why is this wrath coming? It's a result of sin, Ephesians chapter 5. Is there anything I can do to stop it? No. Is there any way to escape it? Yes, by accepting Jesus and his salvation. Well, to whom is this coming wrath then directed? I've already alluded to this. It is directed to those who have rejected God and his plan of salvation. God is going to judge them. In Matthew chapter 25, when we get there, it, it sets up with the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the ones who are destined to salvation, and the goats are the ones who are destined to destruction. When we get to Matthew 25, I'll expand on that more. But what is the nature of this wrath which is to come? Well, there is a fire that is never extinguished. Now, I will be the first to admit, fire is a word probably used as a metaphor, but will it be hot? Well, probably. Will the fire consume those who are there? Well, no, it won't. The fire that is going to be there is going to cause torment. So it's not a fire that we understand. But God uses this metaphor of fire to describe the lake of fire. A lake of fire does not present a good picture at all. You go to Norway right now and you can see the lake of ice, and you can skate across the lake of ice. You're not going to skate across the lake of fire. And so that's what it's called in Scripture. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Also, this fire never goes out, according to Mark chapter 9, verse 43. It burns forever. Again, it's not a fire that we understand, but it is a fire which it's going to be terrible. And the worm does not die in Mark chapter 9. Now, I have a couple other things that I'm going to deal with on this, but I'm going to have to pick it up next week. Now, I want you guys just to have an understanding of what God's wrath is, that we don't make the mistake and find ourselves under it. We want to make sure that we can escape it.
That's the gospel. That's the good news. If you're in here and you're not sure, are, are you under God's wrath or are you under God's salvation? You just ask God to save you. Now, we're going to sing a song. And as we're singing this song, if you need to say, Jesus, will you please forgive me of my sin? Will you please make sure that I am going into heaven? That's all you have to do is ask him, right? Did you guys catch that? I want to make sure you got this down. When we're singing this song, if you have an issue with God, just say, God, forgive me. And God, please save me. And if you do that, that entitles you to the communion, which is here. If somebody is not saved, the communion needs nothing. It is meaningless. But since we have received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Eric is going to come up after we've played the song, and he's going to explain a little bit about the bread and the cup. But if you guys would come on forward, the worship team would come up, and we're going to sing this song again, that new one. And if you need to ask God for forgiveness, go ahead and do it at that time, please.